Right, well, I failed to mention it earlier. My name is Clay McGregor. And, uh, yeah, hi, good morning. And I'm um, part of the, the leadership team here. And it is my privilege to be able to share the word. Many words, but a little over 3,000 of them with you um, this morning. And my prayer is that is that you would receive exactly what it is that God has for you. A few weeks ago, I opened a discussion on why it is that we can often find it very difficult to receive God's revelation. Why it is that we can struggle to to hear, to to see, to receive, to understand, and ultimately to be transformed by his word. I don't know how long it is that you have been sitting in Sunday services like this throughout your life. I personally haven't missed many Sundays uh, since 1990, July 1990, uh, and I can't remember how many mum dragged me along to before that. I've heard a lot of sermons, a lot of sermons, and I believe in the power of God's word. I believe it is the most powerful thing there is to transform. Interesting then that I am not as transformed as I probably should be. Interesting then that some of the darkest days in my life and the most rebellious seasons in my life, I was weakly sitting under the word of God. Why? was all the seed of God's truth scattered over my life, but it not finding root and growing into anything substantial. What was the disconnect there? Mm. Some people here this morning could easily testify to the same thing, and not in the past, but right now, coming along here every Sunday, hearing the word, but not understanding, and it not making any difference in your life. Why do you keep coming back is a mystery to me. Why did I keep going back week after week when this wasn't doing anything for me? Fortunately, God loves me more than I love myself, and he knows what I need more than I knew myself, and I believe in his mercy. He kept me in environments where I needed to be, sowing seeds that perhaps would not bear any fruit then, but his Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance later in my life when I was in a position to let him do what he wanted to do. I want to talk a little bit about that kind of thing. I, I shared earlier this month that there is a temptation to assume that understanding is a challenge of the mind. And you might respond instantly. Yeah, of course it was clear. You think in your mind, you understand. That's where understanding happens. And that is true of intellectual matters. But the Lord doesn't call you here today to follow an intellectual pursuit. We don't hand out diplomas here. We don't take exams to make sure that you 
you have understood and can articulate the word you've received. This is not an, uh, an academic pursuit here. It's a spiritual one. And so while it may be that uh, an intellectual understanding and process happens in your mind, a spiritual one, it starts in the heart. Now, does that make sense to you? See, that makes perfect sense to me. But that hasn't stopped me trying to process everything intellectually first. And so I have struggled because I have tried to grapple with spiritual matters intellectually. And if it didn't make sense according to logic and and the rational process of my mind, I would discard it. Not even allowing God to do a work in my heart. The mind is a part of the process in receiving and processing, understanding, revelation. It is part of the process but it is not the most important part. For spiritual truth is not intellectual, it's a spiritual process. And the seat of the spirit is not the mind. The seat of the spirit is the heart. The heart is where the Holy Spirit abides within a true believer. 2 Corinthians one twenty-two. He has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The heart is where authentic submission to God takes place. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. The heart is where saving belief is formed. Romans 10.9-10 If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I have to believe that with my heart, because I wasn't there to see it. I didn't see Christ crucified. I didn't see him raised from the dead. I have never met anyone who was there. I have no eyewitness testimony. All I have is a book that was written almost 2,000 years ago, and and in some parts of it, many thousands of years ago, and a conviction in my heart that it is true. And so I trust in that. It wasn't a huge weight of evidence that I worked through and decided, you know what, of the two options... Is the Jesus story true or is it not? It looks like there's more evidence on that side of the scale. I'll go that way. That's not how it worked for me. And it's not how it can work for any of us to come into true belief. We believe because in some intangible place within us, you just know. And a lot of people struggle with that because they want everything to make sense right from the start before they step into something. The thing is, that is not faith. Faith is that stepping out into something when you don't know for sure, at least not in your head, but something in your heart just beats for the truth. But the problem is that our hearts are hard. 
Zechariah 7 verse 12. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. We don't receive God's truth because our hearts are hard. And I want to explore that thought some more this morning, expounding more on how it is that our hearts become hard, and then looking at what are some things that can soften those hard hearts. So to begin, I want to return to Jesus' parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. I've heard a number of messages preached out of out of this uh, this parable. I think there's so much in it, and and what I'm looking at uh, the approach I'm taking at the moment is looking at the idea of these these four different uh, soil conditions. Uh, really reflect different conditions of our heart. Let's have a let's have a little read. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, "A farmer went out to sow his seed." As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came and to him and they asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For the people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Just think about a path for just a second. What is a significant characteristic of a functionally successful path? I was thinking it was hard. 
Once again, a functionally successful path is firm. It is hard. A hard path will hold together well. It will be able to withstand a heavy volume of foot and agricultural traffic. It will be able to endure against the elements. If it's hard, if it's firmly packed. A soft path, however, would turn into a quagmire after just a rumour of rain. You'd have mud caked up your legs if you walked on such a path. Your sandals would get stuck. Have you ever tried to walk through mud in sandals or jandals? Yeah, I've lost jandals. I grieve still. Your donkey would get stuck. Your oxen, even your oxen would struggle. Your wagon, your wagon's getting stuck. You know that. Everything would get stuck on your soft path when it rains. Soft ground is bad for paths, but it's great for growing crops. Unfortunately, I know too many church folk who are receiving the seed of God's truth, but not into soft, fertile ground, but on the hard-packed path of stubborn, hard hearts. And I was one of these people. In Mark 8.17, Jesus asked his disciples, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Acts 28, 25 to 27. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. And in Ephesians 4, 18, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. A hard heart is unreceptive. It is difficult, if not impossible, to penetrate. A hard heart affects our other faculties, making it difficult, if not impossible, to hear or see or understand or respond. So how is it that our hearts become hard? You see, they didn't start hard. At least the first two didn't. In Genesis 1, God looked at all he all had created. He looked at the pinnacle of his creative endeavor, Adam and Eve. He looked at them and he said, it is very good. Good meaning perfect complete, exactly as he wanted them. Wouldn't change a thing. That's very good. I can't do better. Soft, receptive, responsive hearts to reach out to God in relationship, to be molded by him, made in his likeness. Genesis one twenty seven says, awesome. They were soft until they were soft until they weren't. They turned from the truth of God's word and they disobeyed him. And after they sinned, they hid 
whatever they knew about God, they forgot it at that instant and they hid. They didn't hide for very long because you can't hide from God. And they found that out very quickly. And when God found them, they started blaming each other. Adam said, it was this woman, this woman that you put here with me. Somehow now it's God's fault. And Eve's like, uh, it was, it was the snake. The snake told me. No one repented. No one bowed down before their God and creator with a contrite heart and humbly begged for forgiveness and mercy. If they knew their God, their creator, even a little bit, they would know how quick he is to forgive and to have mercy. But their hearts were hard. They were full of pride. A soft heart would have repented, but the damage had already been done in them. And today we do exactly the same thing. When we sin, we try to hide from God. I try to hide from him. And when I say that, I I distance myself. Because like them, I'm ashamed. I know how far I've fallen from his expectations. Doing the same thing over and over again. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. And so I distance myself from him. The one person who can forgive. The one who can heal me and restore me. My heart hardens. I'm full of pride. And I don't know him well enough to know his enduring love and bottomless capacity for mercy. I don't know about you, but I have the worst memory ever. I could sit down and just write testimony after testimony of God's grace in my life. Story after story of trials he's brought me through. Of rebellion that he's forgiven time and time again. Times I've tested him, but he is always faithful to me. Miraculous provision. Healing. Salvations in my family. Answered prayer. Prophecy fulfilled. So many stories that I forget all the time when it really counts. I forget who he is and what he's done. My heart starts to harden and I run. And the truth of who he is and what he's done in my life can't bear any fruit because the ground is seizing up. Our hearts are hard Because we are human. It has been an issue for us since Adam and Eve. We had the potential to be so much more. God didn't design us to sin and to run. But that's the path we chose. And we haven't let God fix that brokenness yet. And restore us fully to his perfect image. Our hearts are also hard because they have been wounded. 
Scar tissue is the fibrous structure that forms to bind and fill a wound. It is comprised of the same protein, collagen, that makes up normal, healthy skin. But the fiber composition of the protein in scar tissue is different. Instead of quite a random basket weave configuration in, um, in healthy skin, scar tissue has a very pronounced singular alignment. All the fibers go in one direction, which might structurally sound like a good thing, but it actually isn't. Normal healthy skin was designed perfectly, thank you, Lord. The scar tissue is not as sound. It is of a inferior functional quality to normal collagen. And the scars on skin, for example, are less resistant as a result to ultraviolet radiation, and so they will burn quicker. Sweat glands and hair follicles do not grow back within scar tissue. They can't. Now, this is particularly interesting, I thought. A myocardial infarction, commonly known as a heart attack, causes scar formation in the heart muscle, which leads to a loss of muscular power and possibly future heart failure. Scar tissue on the heart can literally kill you, and your heart will not function as well as it did before. Now that's physiology. Let's talk spirituality. When we are wounded emotionally, that hurt can take much longer to heal than a physical wound. Some people carry around emotional wounds their entire life. Disappointment with God. Have you been disappointed by God? Did he not fulfill the expectations that you had. Hurts from people in the church, pastors, leaders, preachers, offending you, ignoring you, admonishing you, gossip, a sense of abandonment and rejection. That one can really sting making every effort to try to connect with a group of people that call themselves the body of Christ, his family. But there are people who feel lonelier in here than they do anywhere else in the world. And people leave our gatherings without anyone making any real effort to connect with them. And that can hurt. And those wounds, they scar up, and a heart becomes hard. Discouraging words, words of condemnation, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, from strangers and from loved ones. These leave our hearts scarred. The tissue hardens our hearts, and it prevents our heart from functioning the way that God designed it to. We now struggle to trust others, to trust church leaders, and to trust God. And we build up walls around our heart to protect it 
because now we're on the defensive. And those walls stop people getting in to bring healing, to bring love. A wounded heart is a common affliction. And we've all been wounded in any number of ways. And it's only if God heals that wound that we can walk to the other end and see wholeness and maintain a soft, receptive heart, a heart that can receive love. A wounded heart is a common affliction, but it is not the only one that hardens our hearts. Our unrenewed minds also harden our hearts. The mind thinks, but the heart, it believes. You can hold the understanding of any number of doctrines in your mind, but if they have not been sown, believed, and established in your heart, those doctrines will not transform you. They will not have any power. And this has been my struggle as I've shared a number of times for so many years. Holding on to doctrines that were not doing anything in my life. Somehow thinking that I had, I had it made in the kingdom of God because of the retention of facts and, and opinions and positions. Remembering scripture, but none of it was doing anything to produce a work of the spirit in me. I was the same clay, but now I'm puffed up with pride because I think I know something. Azusa Street in Los Angeles at the beginning of the 20th century was not a center of theological study and teaching, but this was the birthplace, the rebirth, a revival of God's power. It was a center of faith and the miracles that were performed in this place were unheard of since biblical times. Today, there are villages and towns all over the third world that are poor in education, but are rich in faith. And in these places, on a regular basis, the dead are being raised to life. That's Bible stories to me. But there are places where that's just Tuesday. Places where people have faith to believe that God can do everything he said and can do everything he's done before. And they trust him to do it. And when they pray, they pray believing that the dead will be raised. With that faith, nothing would be impossible in our lives. I think of the trials that I face. I have not yet come to the trial of, of having to raise the dead. But I would love to believe that I, I could trust in God and call for his power to manifest in resurrection. Not with a hard heart, I won't. Ever wonder why we don't see those kind of signs and wonders here? Now, we, we do see God move powerfully. We've got testimonies here of healings, provision, other miracles. God is the same here as he is everywhere else. Some of us are a little bit different though. But there are people among us who have faith to believe in God for the miraculous and we have amazing testimonies of healing. But they tend to be something super special because it's not just Tuesday for us. It's, oh, do you remember that story back from last year? 
Now, I would like to draw out more testimonies of what God's doing because I think those will continue to build more faith. But we don't seem to have the testimonies that we hear of from other places. And I think there's a reason for that. And that's because we let our brain do all the thinking and our hearts have become too hard for faith to grow. We trust in our pioneering spirit in this country, our ability to do things ourselves. And we're not an overly spiritual nation. I think is a characteristic of our, of our culture, of our society. Not compared to other places. I typify this, I think, for the most part. I'll be driving along with my children and I'll have a headache. And the, and the kids will know I have a headache because I get my, uh, my grump on. My little one, Bree, five years old, not even five, four years old, asked me, Dad, have you got a headache? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you have a look to see if there's any Panadol in the glove compartment? That'll be, that'll be what I say. And Bree would be, oh, no, we can just pray. Her response is spiritual. Dad's, no, no, there's a pharmaceutical that has been produced that will uh, block some of these pain signals that if I take that in 20 minutes time I'll start to be relieved of some of these pain symptoms I think through that whereas Brie doesn't understand any of that but she doesn't need to because her God is better than whatever the pharmaceutical company can produce she reaches out in faith what happened to me I wouldn't want you to think for a minute that I am anti-intellectual or that I'm advocating a faith that is dumb and based on feelings. What I'm saying has nothing to do with feelings whatsoever. Feelings can be the worst. Feelings can lead you to make the dumbest unspiritual decisions ever. I don't know how many times I've heard it and I've said it myself, oh, I had a peace about that. Do you know what I get a peace on? I get a peace when making decisions that uh, make the most sense to me. The, the, I get a peace about making decisions which don't challenge me or stretch me. I get a peace about being comfortable. How interested do you think God is in my personal comfort? I've come to see that what God is most interested in is transforming me into my destiny the likeness of his son. A process, given my current situation, which is quite uncomfortable for the most part. I don't have a peace about a lot of stuff God wants to do in my life. But no, we like that feeling where everything feels okay. And somehow we've decided that's the spiritual good God option. I don't know about that. And I'm not saying that... I'm. I can't say blanketly that, you know, God doesn't give you a peace when making decision. But I think sometimes we can throw a whole lot of stuff to a feeling and say, oh, that's God's blessing. I think we need to test a little harder than that. So that's not what I'm advocating. Our intellect is God-given. And it's important. But it must be renewed and submitted to God and follow the leadership of the Spirit in our heart. And this is something that I'm going to go on to speak on a lot more uh, next year. 
the role that our mind plays in the receiving and processing of revelation so that it actually does a work in our, in our lives, so that we are transformed. The mind plays a part. It's important. But we've, uh, we've made it a little too important. I've committed myself over many years of vigorous study to the Scriptures. But there have been too many things, so many things that I've been blind to see in God's Word. Passages I've studied, read commentaries, but missed everything that God had there for me because I put my mind to the task rather than submitting my heart for Him to sow a seed. It's plain for me to see now that my heart was hard because my unrenewed mind was calling the shots. My unrenewed mind was feeding my heart rather than my spirit-filled heart feeding my mind. An unrenewed mind leaves a cynical and suspicious of teaching we haven't heard before or teaching we haven't understood. Oh, I was so cynical here at The Rock. My first few years, I was cynical. I was suspicious of so much that I was hearing because I, I haven't heard that before. I don't agree with that. That doesn't make sense. I can now not believe anything else that comes out of your mouth. What do you know? And so I found Sunday after Sunday, my heart was getting harder rather than softer. And I was regressing in disciplines in my life rather than becoming more Christ-like. An unrenewed mind is fed by false teaching, ungracious teaching that may use compelling words but lacks true power and truth. I would gravitate towards teachers that spoke in the words that I appreciated. I'd like to hear from teachers who would quote the original languages because that demonstrated that they really knew what was going on there. I was looking for a compelling argument I was looking for the argument that made the most sense and stimulated my mind because my mind was my most important faculty. And so I would collect these opinions. I would add whatever measure of faith I had to them. And now that's my belief system. None of which produced a work of grace in my life. And the more of this that I received, the worse it became. Till I'm so prideful and resistant to anything outside of the small stream of teaching. The more our minds think on these matters, the harder our hearts get, and the less receptive to the transformative word of God we become. So there's a, a number of things there that I've certainly experienced hardening my heart. My humanity, uh, Wounds, hurts from my past and from now and an unrenewed mind. But there are some things that can soften our hearts. That's the question I want to explore now. What softens a spirit-crushing hard heart? The only solution for hard heart is found in God. In Ezekiel 11.19, God says, I will give them 
an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. A new heart, a soft heart, a receptive heart. This is a gift from God. It's not something you strive for. It's not something you take a course for. He gives it to us. But like all of God's gifts, we need to humbly receive it and use it for what God has designed it for. I think we make this mistake all the time. God gives us things. We put it in our back pocket or put it away in a cupboard. We don't actually exercise it. And so it sits there dormant. And we wonder why it is that God's gift isn't doing an amazing work. It's because we're not putting it to work. His love. His wisdom. Even salvation. We're saved and opened up a whole life of freedom, but we don't live in that freedom. Freedom was his gift. But we don't use it. A soft heart, a heart of flesh. Do we use it or do we have it sitting there hardening away because we don't use it and because we're submitting it under our minds? My prayer today and every day until I know it is fulfilled is, Lord, can I have that new heart you promised? Now, I might already have it. Maybe this was a work of salvation that I got a new heart right there and then. Maybe that's the truth. But I'm going to keep praying that prayer until I see the evidence, the proof in my life. That's it. The revelation of it needs to come to fruition in my life. If I have this new heart of flesh, I need that revelation to come alive. And I want to see the fruit of that in me. Knowing God, knowing God. You saw it when you walked in the foyer there. This is a theme that we've been preaching for the last couple of years, and we're going to keep preaching this. We're going to keep preaching this because this is the key revelation that God has given us as a church to come into, the revelation of knowing him, not knowing about him, not knowing our own idea of who he is, but knowing God for who he truly is. This revelation unlocks everything else. Knowing God as he truly is softens our hearts as we come to understand and trust in his love. We come to trust in his character. We trust in his faithfulness. We trust in his mercy. Knowing him, knowing his voice, equips us to discern his word from the words of others. Like a sheep, he discerns the voice of her shepherd from other voices. We come to know who our God is. We know his voice and we follow him rather than following anyone else. Knowing God, knowing his will, his mind, equips us to discern truth from error. We can pick out that which beats with his heart and those things that don't. We get to the point where we don't even need to know the scripture on everything because we see his fingerprints on things. We know which things align with his character and those which don't. 
because our heart is being aligned with his. Sanctification softens, softens our hard hearts. Sanctification is a word which means to make holy or to set apart. Sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. He sanctifies us by soaking us in his presence and in his word. Second Thessalonians 2.13 God shows you his first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and through belief in the truth. John 17.17 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. How do you soften hard soil? I'm working through this at the moment. This wonderful weather we're having is making gardening a bit of a mare for me. I'm trying to put in some uh, some new plants out the front there, but the ground's too hard. What am I doing? I'm soaking my lawn in water. Not giving it a spray. It evaporates off before you know it. I'm leaving the hose going overnight. Fortunately, we don't have water restrictions on at the moment. I'm soaking my hard ground overnight in water, and the water is seeking in, soaking it up, and it's softening it. A hard heart isn't softened by an encounter. You can't just come along on a particularly good Sunday service, get a good dose, and that's all you need. It's not an encounter, it's not an event. Soaking, soaking in his presence is that constant awareness that he is with you. It's seeking out his presence, which never leaves you. And in that awareness, it's communing with him. Sometimes it's words, sometimes it's praying. Maybe it's, it's, it's singing, but it's not just about your response to him. It's about receiving what he has for you. It's listening and even just being aware that he is with you. Being aware of his character, feeling the love that just emanates from him. Soaking in that is what softens our hearts. Now, I'm sorry that it's not just a simple fix, do this and then it's sweet. This is something that is ongoing. This is a lifestyle. But it will maintain a heart that is receptive to God. Submitting our head under our hearts softens our hearts, positions us to live by faith and not by sight and to believe in the heart so that we can truly understand in the mind and be transformed by it. There is a divine order that God has established and designed in us for revelation to be received and to bear fruit. And that is the heart to the mind to the body. We've been called to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our body, with all our flesh. The order of those faculties is significant. It is the way the word must flow to receive in our heart and to believe, then to come into a richness of mature understanding in our mind, which then directs the way we live. When we we mess with the order, 
we miss the truth. Or it doesn't stick. It doesn't take root. Or it's strangled by weeds. Just as the human body dies when our biological heart stops beating, so also our faith dies when our spiritual heart stops beating. Now my heart wasn't dead, but it wasn't healthy. It was diseased and it wasn't functioning properly. The heart in our chest pumps life giving blood around our entire body. Our spiritual heart pumps faith in God's revelation around our entire being. And that's why we need to receive and believe in our heart first and then let it flow where it needs to go. Forgiveness softens a hard heart. Forgiveness is a healing balm for the wounds inflicted on us by others. An unforgiven wound cannot truly heal. And so we need to let our hurt go and forgive. In Matthew 6, 14 to 15, Jesus taught, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a troubling verse. Does that trouble you? When you think about that, think about the idea that God, who is all forgiving, is not going to forgive you if you don't tick that box. You could take that verse to a very literal extreme, which could be quite difficult to reconcile. But I'll tell you one thing that I've found true for myself is that when I harbor unforgiveness, my heart hardens and my capacity to receive forgiveness, either forgiving myself or really truly accepting God's forgiveness for myself, is cut off. So I wallow in sin because I'm unable to receive his forgiveness. Not because he's not merciful, not because he's not gracious, But because in my shame and pride and in a hardened heart, I can't grab hold of it. Suddenly, I'm too worthless to be forgiven. And so I end up wallowing in the filth rather than grabbing the revelation of his forgiveness. God not forgiving me has nothing to do with God and everything to do with me. And it's not just about forgiveness, it's about love as well. When I, when I, refuse to love others, and when my heart is too hard to love others, I find that it's too hard to receive his love. He showers his love on us. His whole, the Holy Spirit pours his love into our hearts, it says. But my hard heart is so full of cracks that it runs straight through. And so I'm not experiencing his love, and I'm certainly not loving others, because of this hardness. And this has, once again, nothing to do with God, but everything to do with me and the condition of my heart. Colossians 3, 12 to 14, Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
and over all these virtues poured on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Which leads us to our next heart softener. Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. It does not, uh, is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I know I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And these th- three things remain. Faith hope and love, and the greatest of these is love. That there is a beautiful poem describing God's love. Love that he has showered upon us, poured into our hearts. And if we can just grab hold of this and let it seep into us, the work that it will do will truly change us. It will soften our hearts. Love needs to become our meditation. At the end of the day, this is a practice I've come into now. At the end of the day, before I go to sleep, in my prayer, my evening prayers now are not a plea for his blessing on whatever, but it's a meditation on what he has done for me that day. What he has revealed of himself, how he has blessed me. And I ask him to reveal to me things that I have not seen. And then I appreciate him for it. And that I reflect on the many ways that God has loved me. So that when I go to sleep that night, I go to sleep in the meditation of a God who loves me. And it turns out his mercies are new every day. And so when I go to sleep in that knowledge those new testimonies, I am seeping in his love, remarking on just how amazing he is and how he loved me today. And this does a work in me. His love does a work in me. Love is a gift from God. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Romans 5.5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this love has been poured into our hearts, not so that we feel good. It's not to produce a feeling. God's love has been poured into our hearts so that our hearts can be softened and sanctified, healed and made holy. If we let him thing with free will is that God gives us the power to choose, to choose everything. And he honors our choices. He offers us opportunities, he offers us gifts, but it's our choice whether we will accept them and it's our choice what we will do with them. 
So he wants to do a work in us. He wants to bring us healing and wholeness. Will we let him? Submitting our heart to God softens it up as we let him have his way with it. It's pride that hardens a heart. Our hearts become calloused and hard when we refuse to change, when we refuse to submit to God and his will. Humility is the antithesis of pride, the opposite. And humility and faith is what will prepare our hearts to receive the revelation that God has for us. True submission requires true humility. If I'm not humble, I can't submit to God or to anyone else. Hard soil must be dug up and turned over. A hard heart also. It must be opened up and exposed to the light, to the air. It must be surrendered and repented of. And that is something that I want to invite you to do again this morning. And I know we did this a few weeks ago, if you were here. But this is something I'm looking to do regularly, if not every day. There's a prayer of David's in um, uh, Psalm 139, the end of Psalm 139. Search me. What does it say? Search me and know me. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. What a cool prayer. Man, I think we skipped some of the best bits in Psalm 139. That is an awesome prayer to finish. Search me, God, and know my heart. God is the only one that truly knows our heart. You don't really know yourself as anywhere near as where he knows you. He can find What is off? What is wrong? What is hard? What is offensive? Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to know what it is that is hardening my heart. Am I harboring unforgiveness? Are you harboring unforgiveness from a past hurt? From a recent hurt? Are you holding something against someone else? That is hardening your heart to receive from God. Is your mind unrenewed? Are parts of it unrenewed? Blocking off in that area. God speaking into your life. Are you more fleshly. Than spiritual. Full of pride rather than humility as was the case with Adam and Eve. Is it your humanity which overwhelms you, making your heart hard? Whatever it is, I want to know what my my deal is. And I want him to lead me out of it because I don't want to be that guy anymore. I want to receive everything that he has for me. Is that what you want to? All right. Well, let's pray on that. Let's pray Let's pray for that together.
Lord, I pray that you would draw your people to yourself. That your spirit would be stirring in our hearts and our spirits. Lord, that you would speak into our hearts. That you would search us and know the condition of our heart. That you would test us, you'd test our thinking. You'd see, Lord, what is hard. You'd see what is opposed to you. You'd see what is offensive to your spirit. You'd see what is broken and hurt. And Lord, that you would bring healing to that. You would bring restoration. You would bring reconciliation. You would bring forgiveness and mercy. And that you'd heal those wounds, Lord, with your love. And that you would lead us out of unbelief, that you'd lead us out, Lord, of doubt. You'd lead us out of rebellion. You'd lead us out of that brokenness. And that you'd prepare the soil of our heart, Lord, to receive everything that you have, Lord, every word of truth, every revelation. Not, Lord, so we'd just understand, Lord, but so that it would do the work for which, Lord, you've destined it. A work to transform us, Lord, into your likeness again. Thank you, Lord, sisters, this morning, Lord, to let you have your way. And all those who had faith for this, say amen. Okay. That's what 